This is a Rocket Audio production. Your founders, Rocket Fuel from Rocket, the uh, podcast that looks to talk to somebody from the world of youth marketing or youth culture. I'm James Erskine. I'm the, one of the presenters of Rocket Fuel. And this week is a good one. Do you know what Galdem is? G-A-L hyphen D-E-M dot com. It's, they say that they're a new media company and they're committed to sharing the perspectives of women and non-binary people of colour. And they do this with daily online content and a print product as well. So yes, they've launched a magazine in these times. I always knew talking to Mariel, and when I say Mariel, I mean Mariel Richards. She's kind of queen of commercial at Galden. Her title is head of partnerships. She is brilliant when articulating the way that Galdem started off, but she's also very, very candid with just how tough Galdem found lockdown. As ever, if you think anybody would benefit from this podcast, do share it, do give us a review, do let other people know um, that might like it, and um, enjoy Mariel Richards, Head of Partnerships at Galdem, for this week's Rocket Fuel. So, Mariel Richards, Head of Strategy and Brand Partnerships at Galdem, the first thing to say is thanks so much for being this week's guest on Rocket Fuel. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> no, don't worry at all. We've been trying to get this in a while, so it's great that you're here. Um, Mariel, first kind of section of the chat is all about you. Um, you as uh, an individual. Give us a flavour of your journey and, and, and how have you ended up at Galdem? Oh, so um, I work, I've been working at Galdem for around uh, five years now. Um, started off volunteering with Galdem when we first launched. I kind of did a little bit of illustrating, a little bit of editing. Um, but along the way to actually earn money, I started working in advertising after I left university. Started off in um, branding and brand strategy and then moved into media, where I spent a long time working at Mindshare International. Yeah. Um, which was great. I worked on HSBC, Facebook, Amnesty, um, like a range of clients, um, all within the worldwide team. Um, and then my side hustle on weekends and evenings and sometimes lunch breaks was Galdem. Yeah. I see. <laughs> and so you were part of the launch team of Galdem. It's your baby. It's your idea. It's not my baby and it's not my idea. I cannot claim that. That is Liv Little, um, our founder. I joined Galdem um, as we were kind of launching as a, as a, a fully kind of fledged online magazine. Um, yeah. So about four or five months after the magazine initially launched on social media is when I got involved. Um, and yeah, like I said, it was very much whatever odd job needed doing is what I would do. <laughs> and now Galdem has grown. You've got a bigger team around you. I mean, how do you like to be managed and how are you as a manager? Oh, okay. I like to be managed. My, my, <laughs> the way that I like to be managed is given all of the information and then left alone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I am. Um, and I think that, um, you know, kind of working in a small team like we do and a team that knows it, um, one another like quite intimately, we've all been friends and we've all kind of grown up together over the last like five or six years that meet that kind of suits me it works really well in terms of how I am as a manager I don't think that I'm as good a manager as I am as someone who is being managed I have to admit <laughs> I am I am um 
you know, I like to be surrounded with people who have the exact same kind of pride and dedication in their work as I do, which means that, you know, I can expect a lot out of my team. I, I do kind of expect them to be on the ball all the time, um, being super creative, um, super personable, handling clients in a way that I would feel comfortable with, even when, you know, we're working with people who don't know Galdem and potentially, um, you know, haven't kind of gone on the same journey that we have in, in growing to love the brand. Um. With your team, you've, you've mentioned your team there and, and you've mentioned a, almost the, the standards that you set. Is there a commonality of behaviours that you want from your team or does everybody bring something different? I think that everyone on the team brings something different. Um, I'll like shout out our, our incredible project manager, Alicia. She definitely brings the cool head to the team, the person who actually turns around and says, no, Marielle, you can't get this live in two days. You need three months. <laughs> Yep. Um, and we have our incredible um, commercial assistant, Sophia, who is one of those people, it doesn't matter what you throw at her, she just gets it done. <laughs> she is incredibly capable. Um, but I think we all, we all have our different strengths. Um, the ways in which we work as a team is really, really, really flexible. Um, I'm not always leading on projects, even if I'm head of the department, it depends like where the expertise is. If someone needs an incredible creative eye on an event, then Alicia is going to be leading on it. If it needs something that is a little bit weird and wacky, that's when I'm going to be stepping in and doing the creative strategy. It really depends kind of what, what's needed. And have you a mentor in your career so far, whether informally or formally, and do you look to mentor other people? Yes, yeah, definitely on, on both counts. I have an incredible mentor, Effie Okogba, who is at Refinery29 at the moment. Um, and Effie has kind of been like a mentor for me for like so long. Um, when I was at Mindshare, Effie took me out on my first like media on a lunch <laughs> when she was back at, um, at Fox and then at National Geographic. And that's kind of like throughout, throughout our time um, working in media has just been a really incredible guiding force for me as a black woman in this industry, um, kind of knowing what to look out for, how to kind of carry myself, what I should be expecting, where I need to stand up for myself and, and you know, how to kind of fight the battles that I think um, maybe like our white colleagues won't necessarily feel or face. Yeah. So br bring that to life for me because I'm ex media agency myself. When, when have you got to stand up for yourself? When, when is that? And how important a part of your makeup is that? Oh, it's like, it's about 95% of my makeup <laughs> standing up for myself. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but um, no, I think when I kind of first started in media, I was definitely feeling a lot of that kind of um, like imposter syndrome, thinking that, you know, I wasn't capable, I wasn't qualified, I didn't know how to do all of these things that the other execs could do. Actually, I did. But I think when you come into a space where nobody looks like you, and they've mm. all got an incredibly different background to you, they've all grown up differently, they've gone to different... Um, different kind of like internships and, and work experience, you do feel like, actually, do I fit in here? And Effie and, and other mentors I've spoken to along the way, um, other black women who are at Mindshare as well, really did kind of help guide me, give me confidence, make sure that I kind of trusted myself and my ability. Um, and they're like, you always, I think in any situation, whether you're agency or, or not, there will be difficult situations where you have to kind of manage a power balance between yourself and a client. And I think when ethnicity and gender come into that, it can be harder to figure out where to stand and, and what to expect out of people and what to look out for out of people. So I'm a big fan of finding yourself a mentor you trust and then sticking with them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good, good, um, good advice there for those listening. Professionally, 
Marielle, what would you say you're known for? Um, I think I'm known for, I think two, there are two things I'm probably known for. I think I'm known for being a steady pair of hands. Um, so whether that was at Mindshare when I was kind of given the slightly more volatile clients to handle yeah. <laughs> um, or at Galdem where I've kind of come into um, Galdem 2.0 to, to kind of make the money and make sure that the business survives, make sure that we can um, commission paid content and, and sustain our editorial staff. That's, I think, primarily what I'm known for, um, even though it's not the most glamorous thing in the world. <laughs> and then I guess in, in the creative sphere, what I, what I try to do is make sure that there are campaigns that are completely legible to an ad industry um, audience, but that still speak to our community and to our readers at Galdem um, in a way in which they understand and respect and feel kind of seen by. So you, so you find yourself as an individual, but also as a representative as Galdem, where you're almost taking a brief and turning the messages to become more relevant to your audience. It sounds exactly. like that's a big part of the role. Got it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then in terms of the scope of your role, I mean, how big is the team at Galdem now? I'm, I'm sure you're not still doing artwork and the photocopying, but I'm <laughs> guessing everybody still does muck in. Yeah, everyone mucks in. We have 10 staff at the moment um, at Galdem. So it is a very small team. And in the commercial team, it's like, what is it? It's three and a half people, I'd say, because um, we share our, our head of social with, editori with the editorial team. But yeah, we do all get mucked we all muck in. I don't do illustration anymore, but you know, if there's some last minute graphic design that needs to be done to help some of the editors out, then I, then I do step in. <laughs> nice one. And are you any good at switching off and, uh, or does that not come with the territory? Uh, I'm getting better at switching off. I have to say okay. lockdown, lockdown hasn't helped with the um, no. learning to switch off. I'll be real. Um, because you know, that the kind of boundaries between work and life have just been blurred so much, not just mm. from, working from home, but also like the increased pressures that small businesses face at the moment. You're kind of constantly on, constantly trying to figure out what your next step is going to be, how to plan for the future. Um, so I don't think that I am good right now at shutting down and turning off, but I'm getting better at it. <laughs> I, on, heard, I heard, it's on your stylus, nice. Um, I, I heard somebody articulate it as we're no longer working from home, we're living from work. And that's, yes. that's yeah, yeah, that that's seems it. to be, and I must admit, I mean, I'm, I've got two children, they went back as we're recording to, to school today, both of them. And actually just the shock of having to be at the end of the road to put my little boy on his school bus was an incredible, wow, I've not done this for a long time, not since March. Put shoes you know. on? What? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> the one thing, and sorry, this is massive oversharing, but I've really enjoyed about lockdown is an afternoon shower. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Because oh it's lunchtime, lunchtime showers. <laughs> yes, and it makes you feel a bit like you're on holiday, and it feels <laughs> wrong. So yeah, I'm pleased there. How, from a business level, have Galdem adapted to lockdown and indeed coronavirus? What what's happened? Yeah, it was it was it, not going to lie. It's been a, it's been a scary period for for kind of independent media. I think that anyone anyone. Who, who is working at a small magazine or an independent organisation over, over lockdown has has had to make some pretty scary adaptations. Um, we are kind of known for our events. That's kind of one of the mm. big things that Galdem is known for is bringing communities together. Um, so obviously for us, lockdown was terrifying to begin with. We had to switch all of our events online and it was a real learning curve for us. We kind of started off by doing our... Um, 
in conversation and panel events via Instagram Live, which was good. We kind of tested out what worked, um, what our audience wanted to see. And now all of our events are done by Zoom or Instagram Live, um, which does kind of it has been difficult to adapt to, but I think we've kind of, we found a space that we can work in well and keep the intimacy that we're known for via in-person events online. Um, in terms of like how we have adapted with our content, obviously um, our community, we speak to women and non-binary people of color primarily, has been really hard hit by the pandemic, not just in terms of health issues, but the repercussions in terms of the economy, um, in terms of the extra social pressures. So we've had to adapt the content that we produce as well to make sure that we are really supporting this audience and making sure that they have the resources they need at this difficult time. So I'm still here with Mariel Richards, who's Head of Strategy and Brand Partnerships um, at Galdum. Section two, we're going to kind of get under the bonnet of Galdum, find out how the business works, how it moves. We've touched upon some of that already. Um, Mariel, I'll play the role of the uh, simpler person, because I think that's probably true of the roles <laughs> that we find ourselves in. Galdum is a written product and an events business with an online community at its heart and it's for women and people um, that are non-binary of color that's broadly the community and the issues you touch could be anything from culture work it's it's everything that affects that audience is that a fair summary Exactly, exactly. You know, we, we um, produce content that is by and for um, women and non-binary people of colour. And I think where we try to position ourselves is making sure that we provide content that touches all aspects of our community's lives. I think often when our community are asked to write for mainstream publications, they're kind of asked to write about racism and sexism and gender dysphoria mm. and all of the traumatic stuff but actually there is so much joy there is so much creativity there are so many incredible people doing incredible work within our community so we talk about the important stuff and we talk about politics and we talk about news but we do so through a lens that really empowers our audience um has action at its heart rather than kind of you know recounting trauma <laughs> sure that's a really good i mean funny enough i think you've rather preempted my next question which is five years ago when galden was set up where was that gap and it strikes me as though what you've said is the gap is almost in the positivity or in the hundred percent of the, the the 360 element of it not just the the trauma as you said exactly it's kind of you know representation is a it's a funny it's a funny beast i think we often get hung up on representation as the be all and end all of what we need to do to tackle racism and sexism and all of the other isms but representation is just the first step what we need to do is understand holistically all of the things that affect our communities um and all of the discriminations that we face and, and start to realize those as like human issues that we have a hand in changing so what we do at galdem is making sure that we do represent our community holistically we don't ever try to kind of just recount the bad stuff we always have an action at the end like this is what you can do these are the things that you can change and there's always joy in that as well like there is incredible work happening and we need to shout and and and, and kind of laugh and, and celebrate that stuff so i mean actually just on what you're saying there's a fascinating study that came out of australian tv recently where the australian t people faces on the screen were all incredibly white when the population isn't like that and they've actually seen what would you would read on the surface some really good news in the last two years is that there are more faces of color on the tv but actually when you dig down into it they are all 
cookery experts they are all do you know what i mean there is nobody there are, there isn't a single another news reader of color on australian tv in the past two years so it's about digging down into what that means isn't it exactly that's the, yeah. that's the thing. you know i think representation can trick us sometimes we can think that okay if we fill a quota if we have 50 percent of the people on the screen filling this demographic then we've done our job but actually we need to make sure that there's the people behind the scenes people making decisions it's the policies we have in place it's the content we try to serve everything throughout throughout um what we put out into the world needs to be inclusive not just diverse and representative so let's look at the commercial models in galdem um what makes money i'm, I'm guessing there's sponsorship of events there's advertorials there's straight ads all of those things what seems to be working and and also who your advertisers is it people we would expect or people we wouldn't or a healthy combination yeah well when we when we first started kind of uh, trying to bring money into the business to launch galdem as a as a kind of fully fledged media organization we started doing that via sponsored events um, and running our own events that were ticketed um, now what we do largely to bring in money is partnerships so content partnerships um, that produce um, either events or um, digital content or print content um, that is kind of bespoke to a specific client um, and that goes out to our audience across any of our channels and that is primarily how we like to work with advertisers um, we do display advertising and we do kind of paid social advertising um, with, with clients as well but our preferred method of working is very much in those paid partnerships in something where we can create kind of bespoke content and as the as um 2020 launch we also brought on our membership model which is another way that our community can support us and um and kind of bring bring money into Galdem and support us with revenue and we're doing pretty well via that we have around 2600 members um having launched in march which is great and i think it's kind of testament to the fact that there is a really, really strong emotive bond between mm. our brand and the people um, that read that read Galdem. So how old are your audience? How old are the users? Does it depend mm. by platform? Is it a big spread? Yeah, it does depend by platform. So online, um, the majority of our audience, around 40% of our audience are between 25 and 34, um, but they are younger on our socials. So um, when we look at the, the kind of splits, it's, it's more like 35% are actually... Um, under the age of 25 when we look at social and I think that's to be expected I think a lot of um, platforms are in a similar space in that their social audiences skew slightly younger um, from the audiences that they reach via their website but we do try to keep the content consistent we change up the messaging how we speak to the, um, our audiences based on the platform but because we know that largely our audience are women um, they are women of colour and there is a strong non-binary and trans audience in there as well we make sure that that the content always speaks to them and always supports them but it's just how we communicate that content and the kind of nuances of it that we change up depending on the platform um you've recently launched a podcast or probably not that recently actually <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, how long has the podcast been going and, oh, and why was maybe like three months okay i yeah. i think yeah we can get away with we can get away with it yeah and and why was I, I know podcasts are going through a third renaissance why did podcasts work for gal then what what was the thinking behind that yeah it was it was actually something that we've been thinking about for a while but um but 
having as many different media streams as possible is super important to us so like i said we we do use our social channels as a kind of separate media arm to tell stories in a in a, in a specific way and the podcast is another way of doing that podcasting is such an intimate medium it's such an incredible space to really create a bond between um the the speakers the guests and the listeners i think that we can tell stories in a far more emotive way than we potentially could via the written words and even via video I think I think the audio has a special quality to it um that it that isn't present in in other channels and there was a lot that we wanted to do that, that was speaking to a younger audience and that was almost advice-led um, and the podcast that we have it's all about um kind of letters or advice or notes to our younger selves uh, it's called growing up with galdem um it's on all good podcasting apps <laughs> um and what we do is we invite a different guest each week to tell us about you know a moment from their 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 life growing up and what they've learned from that moment and because of that kind of very emotional core audio made sense for us and it, and it is a, a good way for us to test out a new ways of reaching audiences and new ways to get them engaged in us and our content hello i'm charlie i'm the head of editorial at galdem and i'll be co-hosting our podcast with Liv. we're super excited to be starting our journey with you each week we'll invite a guest to respond to old diary entries letters or text messages from their younger selves the point is to nurture important discussions about growing up I think I would want to tell myself to be more on my own side and to stop chasing after somebody because I should be chasing after myself. Right, Marielle, I want to ask a big question now because you are ex-Mindshare, okay? Mm -hmm. And Mindshare are, for the benefit of probably hardly anybody that's listening that doesn't know, they're a big, what used to be called media agency. They would now say they have strategy, data, all of that under one roof. They would say they are more than just media planners and buyers. <laughs> but I think the criticisms of media agencies sometimes still remain the same. And that is, it is tough for a brand like Galden to get on a media schedule. How, how have you harnessed the power of having that that knowledge of how big media agencies work? Is it to ignore the big media agencies completely and go to the brands direct? Is it more nuanced than that? Give me, I mean, kind of illustrate my point in a slightly more articulate way than I have for the benefit <laughs> of the listener. I mean, you, you can't hate Mindshare because you loved it while and you were there, but is it a struggle and you don't have to keep it to Mindshare if you don't want to? <laughs> <laughs> it, definitely, it definitely is a struggle getting in front of and, and kind of getting the responses from big media agencies um, that you want but I have to say like I think probably um, having that experience having worked at a big agency has been really really helpful because it means I know what I know what I was looking for I know um, what I expected out of a pitch out of a proposal out of a media plan um, and I think that when you go to an agency as a small organization the immediate thought that any account manager or planner has is oh this is going to be more work this is going to be harder for me because i'm going to have to format everything they don't know how to deliver this they're not going to give me the targeting i want da, 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 da. so so what i try to do is articulate to, to agencies what galdem does and can do for their clients um in a very media agency way i always have a media plan ready like always <laughs> i kind of speak to them in their own language i make sure that we are using the same measurement platforms that i expected from the really big publishers like new york times guardian anyone that i was briefing regularly when i was at 
mindset. I was making sure I was clocking, okay, this is what I like. This is what makes sense to me. And that's what I do at Galdem as well. Um, we do try to partner up with smaller magazines as well at Galdem um, and our peers who are kind of on the same level as us. And, and what, what I try to bring to those relationships is that understanding of what an agency wants. Um, it has been hard getting in front of agencies. So typically we do go brand direct. Apologies to all of the agency people. <laughs> <laughs> you might be listening. I know that that's a pain. I know that's a pain. But um, I think that brands often can be more adventurous because they're the boss. They're not the ones who are going to be telling off the agency for presenting them with some itty bitty plan. We go to yep. a client, we can prove our worth to them. We can prove what we can do. And then an agency understands that there's a case study here and that they can trust us um, after the fact. We have had some like amazing campaigns that we've worked with bigger agencies on. Mediacom in particular has been like a really great place um, for incubating young um, publishers and, and young talent. Um, and Mindshare as well, kind of going back to my old stomping ground has been fun as well. <laughs> okay. Um... In terms of what Galdem do offer, it struck me from our conversation a moment ago that it, it almost seems to be content first as well. So it's, it's kind of that, that weaving the, the key messages into the fabric of, of the content. What, what else do Galdem offer and, and, and how do you balance the brand building, the messaging, the content with the, I suppose, the, the ultimate objective to drive sales? Yeah, we, um, we find the kind of the focus on direct response quite difficult because obviously we have a much smaller audience than some of um, the big players in direct response. We're not going to be able to compete with, you know, like PPC or, or, um, or, or kind of, you know, core, core direct response offerings. But what we do is we offer consultancy where we can speak to our audience and we can understand how they think and feel about a product. If there is a client who comes to us and says, okay, I have a target of making this many sales. My response is always going to be, look, I can help you at the top of the funnel. I can help you pre-funnel to understand what's going on with my audience and what they're going to think and feel about the various media decisions you're making. But I'm not going to be able to deliver you a, you know, a, a cost per sale of, of X. That's not what we work to at Galdem. Um, it's something that we want to consider in the future as we kind of build out our commercial team, but we are very much about introducing brands to a community that is incredibly skeptical of, um, of, of kind of brands and, and consumerism. And, and we introduce them in such a way that feels authentic, that feels natural, and that really shows that there are shared values between our audience, our community and this brand and whatever the, the messaging or product is. We spoke to Adam Harris at Twitch for part of this series, and he was brilliant in his articulation, and I won't do it justice, but he was, he was helping brands not to dad dance, and what, yes. what he meant, but right. So you can guess what I'm going to say next. Is there another equivalent of almost embarrassing appropriation that brands try to do, and how tough is it, particularly with money on the table to say you can't do it in that way and, yeah. and yeah yeah it's, Bring hard, that to it's hard it's hard when there's money on the table but I think my responsibility as, as head of partnerships is always to to say that and to do that yeah. you know what makes Galdem an attractive proposition to to brands is the fact that our audience trust us like they believe in us they they know what we're doing and they know that we're transparent and that we will always come to them with the best of intentions. So when we do get briefs in, and often we do get briefs in that um, feel inauthentic, that feel like they are trying to fix um, a very public mistake that a brand has made, 
um, we have to say no. We, we, it's, our, it, it's up to us to be the ones who say, no, we can't do this. What we can offer you is we can offer you some consultancy. We can offer to sit down with your marketing teams and understand what went wrong where. We can work with you on a brief if you don't want to bring it to us, but you kind of want to make, you want to have the reach with a larger publication, but you're scared that the messaging isn't going to be authentic and it isn't going to land in the right way. We can help work on that brief. Um, but it is, there is a big responsibility to not just snap up whatever money is available. Um, yeah. We have to be selective. Even in a pandemic, we have to be selective. <laughs> when, when have you got it brilliantly right with the brand? What's, what are the campaigns you're most proud of? I think the campaign that I am the most proud of is um, we worked, it's actually quite an old one. We worked with Levi's um, in June last year for their Pride campaign. Um, and I think Pride campaigns are, are that time of year when things can go horribly, horribly wrong because every advertiser is being like, ah, I need to get something out. I need to, you know, be present for the queer community. I need to have, you know, rainbows everywhere. Um, and that's, an awful way to think about pride <laughs> what, what we should be doing is really celebrating the important stories and and kind of paying homage and creating space for queer communities that otherwise hasn't been offered and we have to do that in a sustainable way that recognizes you know when june is over doesn't mean that all the lgbtqia community disappear you know this community is still here it's still very yeah. present so levi's came to us with a very open incredible brief um, that was basically like we're working with this organization called Queer Britain um, we want to create some content with them but we don't know what what do you want to do um, so we produced four documentary um, episodes with with Levi's that um, paired up artists um, from the Gaudem community with different people and places from Britain's queer history um, to understand you know, what has come before us. I think our generation is often guilty of thinking that because we were the first ones to put it on social media, we were the first ones to do it. <laughs> um, so what we tried to do through by this documentary series um, was to really show how organisations and people um, from Britain's past have paved the way for us to have the freedoms and expressions that we have today. Um, and those four documentary episodes were obviously screened via a sold out screening event, which was a beautiful space um, that we co-curated with Levi's. And then afterwards, we donated those four films to Queer Britain to live in their archives forever, which for us was really important because it kind of meant once this campaign is over, the information and the resource and, and, and the kind of celebration is still there and it will live in a very prominent place in this museum, in this gallery forever um, and for Levi's obviously it really signalled um, that their commitment to kind of grassroots organising and LGBTQIA community support doesn't just extend specifically to their staff and the incredible work that they do internally it's also in supporting other organisations that platform this community and, and serve this community um, and that that I think was a, a real joy that was a really joyful campaign to work on and one that even though it's now over a year old I love yeah, and to be fair, there, there wasn't a, 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 there was a number of virtual prides, but there wasn't a pride this year. So you, you're still current, Mariel, that's <laughs> fine. I mean, the other thing from a, looking at it with kind of a marketing output and outcomes perspective is Levi's are left with that content and bringing that content yeah. to that community. So it's, it's very, very powerful. Mm. Um, how, how big is Galdem? How many people do you have online? How many people do you have on your social channels? Give us a, a flavour of the scale. 
Yeah, so we, we typically uh, reach around half a million people per month on the website, um, although that does and has fluctuated over over um, June and May this year with the kind of with the increased awareness around Black Lives Matter. We did see a big spike um, in, in page views and, and similarly a big spike in followers on social as well, which I think that lots of organisations who speak to people of colour and specifically to black people felt as well. Um, via our socials our Instagram is our favorite platform we have around 150,000 followers on there and typically per post we're, we're hitting um, around 20,000 organic impressions though again it, it does fluctuate depending on whether or not something's viral um, and then our, our next social channels are Twitter and Facebook but Instagram is definitely our fave at the moment you were uh, you preempted um, my next question actually, which was one around Black Lives Matter. Um, I suppose um, for the benefit of the listeners, we are we are speaking just at the start of September. So let's say this goes out in a couple of weeks' time. We are, we are from a summer of of course of COVID nineteen, but also very much summer of Black Lives Matter. Mm. Um, how it's really tough, right? Because Geldam is a a, a place that have always spoken this language and spoken about these themes. Yeah. I suppose you've got to tread a delicate balancing act between telling people off that are doing it in a ham-fisted way and celebrating the fact that finally the messages that you've been saying have, have, have actually been brought to almost a worldwide audience, not when they haven't been before, but just other people are paying attention. How did both editorially and kind of commercially, do you think, Galdam had to deal with it and, and, and how difficult was it? Mm, it was like it was very difficult I think um, one of the the big things that um, is not super visible um, outside of you know communities of people of colour and, and those specifically working in the media is that there was an incredible amount of pressure um, that came with that increased awareness. You know, we have been talking about anti-racism and, and anti-racist work for a long time. We have been condemning from these tragedies for a long time, um, but kind of overnight realizing that, you know, millions of people are suddenly looking to you to be the single voice um, that they learn from. Um, it, it was a lot of pressure and our editorial team who were already under a, a huge amount of pressure facing you know some of their team members being on furlough um working with reduced commissioning budgets all of the things that i think lots of media organizations had to face in the pandemic they handled it incredibly and i, I really have to kind of celebrate and, and 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 thank them for the energy that they put in at a very difficult time um we did obviously pivot a lot of our content towards black lives matter and producing again actionable content that we thought would be useful um, and educational for our community during this time. Um, we did a lot of resharing of old posts that we've already um, produced and when we were working with brands we specifically chose not to do any kind of commercial work around that period of time. We postponed a lot of campaigns um, so that you know we were filling our feeds and, and pushing content that was useful at that time rather than um, you know kind of sponsored advertising and I think that was the right decision to make and I'm grateful for the clients that we worked with at that time being flexible in that way but we also worked with brands in terms of doing talks with them sitting down with their HR and marketing teams to make sure that they felt empowered to, to kind of speak to their their staff and um, specifically to their black staff during that time and and make the right decisions and be responsible with their employees well-being at that time. 
Um, I just want to ask one final question in this section, which is, what's the future for Galvem? How big can it get? What, what can it do next? What's in the short term? How, how much do you want to take over the world? <laughs> Yeah, we, we want to we want to take over the world 100%. <laughs> Good. I think, I think for us, it's one of those funny things of, you know, our mission is really to, to, to change the way the media industry behaves and, and represents people of colour. Um, and, and not just people of colour, all of the um, marginalised um, identities that, are, that currently aren't represented in mainstream media, be that trans communities, migrants, the working class, um, people of colour, disabled people. We want to make sure that the work that we do is setting the tone and it is kind of setting the mark of what is right and what needs to happen. So as much as I'm like, okay, yeah, world dom domination, what I'm really keen for is for the work that we do to be, be mainstream and to be setting the kind of standard like this is how you handle these conversations and this is how you represent these communities um if that means we become one of many that's great i'm down for that you know i think that there is um at the moment the media industry in terms of publishers really does need to be diversified and there is a lot of space for other organizations to jump up and do similar work okay so final section the rocket fuel podcast is often the shortest section but often the most uh, illuminating because it's where we asked our guest for some practical takeaways some actionable insights for our audience people that work in media tech marketing youth culture places like that for some things that they can use in their day-to-day -day jobs so no pressure uh, Marielle. Um, first question is a deliberately broad one. What do you know about young audiences? Oh, I know they are just as complicated and uh, just as diverse as any other um, audience. And I think that the main difference is often they are far less forgiving. So um, with, especially with our community, especially with the young people that we speak to, you really do have to get it right the first time. Um, there are not many second chances, especially when it comes to advertising um, and kind of brand communication. I think you may have slightly preempted my second question in this bit, but let's, uh, let's go for it anyway. What do you think is important <laughs> to young audiences? Yeah, I think authenticity, even though, you know, I'm sure everyone says this, um, authenticity is super important. It's, it's, I think, the one thing that is kind of unforgivable if you get it wrong. Um, we all know when we see advertising, when we see sponsored content in partnership with, provided by, whenever we see those labels, we know that that money has exchanged hands. We know that there has been a specific ask of whoever is presenting that content to you to produce something and to say a particular thing. So what needs to happen is is a complete kind of a complete awareness of that. We all know what's going on in advertising. Let's not patronize our audience. <laughs> Let's make sure that when we are sponsoring content and we are working with content creators, be they magazines, be they influencers, we're working with them because we trust their expertise and we understand that what they produce is specific and right for their audience. And I think that's I think that's what's really important, especially when we're kind of working with these this 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 um area of kind of like influencers and and influencer type publications that i think galden kind of sits inside of is um you know people are people are coming to these organizations young people are coming to these organizations because they trust that what's being presented there is authentic and is true and matches with their values so any kind of 
forceful messaging, anything that feels inauthentic, anything that is glaringly obvious as like an attempt to disguise advertising is going to fail. You just need to be honest. Um, and I think then your messaging will be respected and listened to. Next question. What do you think has changed about the way this audience behave and what do you think will change next it's one of those things whenever i'm kind of whenever i'm asked uh, questions that are similar to this my, my thing is i don't think that a huge amount has changed about the audience inherently i don't think that you know this generation of young people gen z i don't think that they have a wildly different outlook on life to the one that i had when i was you know 18 what i think has changed is the technology you know young people have always been agitators for change they have always been the ones looking around them seeing the world that they're going to inherit and thinking that's not right I don't want that I want it to be better every single generation of young people has gone through that at some point the difference is now young people have the technology and the space within which to have their voices heard on a massive scale and I think that's why we feel uh, particularly nervous when we're talking about or talking to Gen Z is because we know that this this generation of young people have more power than potentially we did when we were that when we were that old um so it is about recognizing that you know it's the same it's the same motivation it's the same kind of need for something better that same want to change the world it's just now they potentially have as much skin in the game as you do and they have as much power as you do to, to make that change who do you think gets it right and who do you think gets it wrong? You haven't got to name names, but are there any common themes to, to brands or organisations that are getting it right? You know or, what? There's, um, yeah, there's a few brands. I'm going to, but in terms of like, uh, like commercial brands, um, big names, I think that one brand I look to a lot that I think are getting it right a lot are Converse. Um, Converse are a very open and honest brand. They do a lot of work with very small content creators. Um, and whenever I see content that's been produced in partnership with them, it does feel very like open and natural. And it, it does kind of give me a lot of affection for the brand because obviously I can see the relationships they're forming there are, are authentic and, and, and are, are good. In terms of other organizations that I look to, almost uh, competitors, I guess, or like peers, because. I'm all about collaboration. Mm. <laughs> I, I really, really, really love uh, three other magazines in particular. Amalia, who speak to Muslim women. Uh, Gay Times, who are an incredible platform, incredible, huge international platform, obviously speaking to the LGBTQIA community. And Guap, who are a British magazine um, based, out of, based out of South London, who speak to youth culture, primarily to people of color. Um, in youth culture wow okay so they are top three recommendations and i shall check them all out nice one um marielle yeah. um give us one <laughs> key takeaway from our chat whether that's something that we have spoken about or something that my rubbish questions haven't allowed me <laughs> to talk about <laughs> i will take either um i think you know what it's something that i guess we haven't articulated but i feel has been like a theme going through is that um you know right now is the moment to be honest um in communications and i think that often uh there is a little bit of awkwardness and 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 shame in advertising and that we want to make people do something we want to change their behavior in this way but we don't want to be too obvious about it we don't want to <laughs> we don't want to just mm. be like buy this trainer <laughs> 
we want to be like this trainer is going to change your life and this trainer agrees with your values but you know what I think what's important right now is to just be totally honest you know consumers right now uh they have more time on their hands uh than ever before but we're seeing that actually attention spans with with traditional me uh, media and advertising channels is so it fluctuates so much and I think that that is to do with a kind of renegotiation with our, our attitudes towards brands and advertisers we are starting to figure out what specifically we want and specifically makes us happy now that our worlds have been kind of restricted and confined in in a new way so it's time for us as publications and also as advertisers to really 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 dig deep and just be honest and just be authentic with consumers about what the behavior is that we want and need and why it is we want and need that Marielle, where can people find out more about you? Where can people find out more about Galden? Oh my gosh, please come to our website. It's gal-dem.com. Um, and if you are looking to get in touch with us, we have um, all of our contact details on the Contact Us portion of the site. If you're trying to find us on socials, it's g-a-l-d-e-m-z-i-n-e, galdemzine, on all of the platforms. Brilliant. Marielle, thank you so much for being this week's guest. I really appreciate the time you've taken. It was a great chat. Thank you. No worries. Thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed this chat. I did say it'd be a good one, and I told you it would be. And the reason I did is because Galdem's a great story, Marielle's great value, and also her candour talking about lockdown and the struggles that they've had was really, really interesting. Decent discussion. I hope you like it. Do share it, and also do come back for next week's Rocket Fuel. This is a Rocket Audio production.